Okay, um, second year of college, and uh, I was placed over some, some young uh, teenagers that were still in high school. And I was called into this short-term mission thing called Salkahatchee. It was run by the Methodist Church, and the idea was that you took a little site and you helped to restore a poor person's home, did whatever was needed. And so that summer in July, if you've ever been uh, to uh, Newberry, South Carolina, in July, it's really hot. Uh, we were doing all this work for free, so get the picture here. And uh, we were on the site with this elderly, elderly woman, and we were to re-roof her house. If you've ever done roofing work, you know how hot that is. So we're in Newberry on the roof, sh uh, taking shingles up and down, nailing, sweating, sacrificing all week long, and the woman just rocked her life away. Never said a word to us, never said thank you, was so unappreciative, didn't, didn't care if we were there or not. What made matters worse, she had three grandsons who were strong, strapping teenagers, and they walked by us every day. Never said, thank you for helping grandma. Never said, can we help you? Can we help lug some of those shingles up that ladder? Never a word. And then, of course, the last night, everybody's decompressing. That's how you do mission trips. And we're talking about what they got out of the week. And, and my teens were angry. They, they said, we worked so hard for these people. We, we slaved. I could have been on vacation. And they didn't appreciate a bit of things that we did. Another one pipes up and says, yeah, can you believe those grandsons just walked past us every day and never decided to help or lend a hand? And then finally, one person says, I will never work on Salkahatchee again. She said, I just can't work for ingrates like that. You know, they were working for praise and honor and thanks and they were wanting to be exalted and glorified. So I took them to Mark chapter 9, which is where we are today. <laughs> and we looked at what a cruciform servant's life in Christ looks like. And I want us to do that. I want to do that with you. Because you know something? I was miffed too. <laughs> I needed that teaching. Because I was angry that those kids didn't help and that grandma was so unappreciative. It's natural. Let me just say that. It's normal to want to be praised, to be thought of well, and, and to be lifted up. But it's also carnal, and it's fleshly, and it's not of the cross of Christ, okay? So three teachings today from the gospel. Gospel truths. What Jesus came to do, number one, what the carnal, fleshly heart naturally resists. What does your heart resist? Because you've, you've still got a fleshly heart even after you come to Christ. Number three, how receiving Jesus and the cross of Christ changes everything. So what he came to do, what we resist, how Jesus changes everything. So look at verse 30. We got the disciples walking along the Sea of Galilee, and they're going to a place called Capernaum, and to a place that if you've been to the Holy Land, you've seen, which is Peter's house. Okay, that was their base camp for mission. They would go out on missionary journeys, and they would recollect themselves at Peter's house. So in verse 31, Jesus takes this little men's hike and begins to teach them on the men's hike, kind of like what we do. And he gives them the second passion proclamation of the gospel. There will be one more, uh, but here it is, verse 31. He's teaching his disciples and said, 
the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. Notice the language there. They will kill him. He must suffer. He must give his life as a ransom for many. That was Jesus' main mission while he was here. Don't get it wrong. That's it. That's the gospel. In fact, Peter's first sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, it went like this. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, whom you crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men. God raised him up from the pains of death. That is the gospel. That is it. He must suffer. He must die. So dying on the cross was Jesus' prime objective. That's what he came to do. That's why every week in the Anglican Church, we take communion, we remember his sacrifice, do this in remembrance of me. But what was in the minds of the disciples? What did they think the mission was? Well, when he starts talking about a king, they're thinking about a golden crown with jewels on it, right? When Jesus starts talking about a throne, they're thinking he's going to sit on a throne of glory somewhere in Jerusalem. They're thinking about King David and all the successes. They're thinking about banishing the occupying forces of Rome. That's what they're thinking. And Jesus suddenly starts talking about sacrifice and death and suffering. We don't want any of that. We want to be lieutenants and generals and governors and princes in this kingdom thing. Jesus, don't bring us down. We don't like losers. And that's what the human heart carnally, the human heart resists. The fleshly self resists that message for really two reasons. Look at verse 32. It says, they did not understand the teaching of Jesus, and they were afraid to ask him. They were clueless and afraid. Why would they be afraid? Well, remember the first passion pronouncement in chapter 8? Jesus had asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter had come back and said, you're the Christ, you're the anointed one, you're the Messiah. And he got it right, he nailed it. And then Jesus goes on to say, well, let me tell you what the Messiah came to do. And he didn't like that suffering stuff at all. And remember, Peter pulled Jesus to the side and rebukes him. You're not going to be that Messiah. I don't want you to be that Messiah. And remember what Jesus did? He rebuked Peter. And he said, i got to be that Messiah. And he said, get behind me, Satan, for your mind is not on the things of God. Your mind is on the things of man. I've got a bigger mission than you ever dreamed of. Very carnal, very human. Peter resisted the message. He rebuked Jesus because he said, Jesus, you don't even understand your own, own meaning for being here. Now back to our lesson. You think maybe they were afraid to ask because Peter has already been chewed out by Jesus? I think that's part of it, don't you? I mean, they've already tried to answer the question and got it wrong, and Jesus, Jesus get, lays into them. But the second thing is more important. In chapter 8, 34, after the rebuke, here's what happens. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. See, that's different. It's one thing if Jesus wants to give his life in a foolhardy way in Jerusalem on a cross. You go ahead and talk that language. But, but now you're asking me to follow you in some sort of death? Now they got skin in the game, and it worries them. 
And they're terrified that they, something in them must die. Some part of that fleshly self must be put to death, and they must rise up a new creature. And that terrified them. That's the fearful thing. Verse 32, we, we see that they did not understand what Jesus was saying. And, and I venture to say that many Christians who, who intellectually know the Scriptures and know the Gospel fail to fully understand it and, and uh, put it into practice in their lives. They understand some of it, but they don't want to, to live under the implications of a cross-shaped life. I know I don't sometimes. I don't like sacrificing. I don't like treating others better than myself. I, I like to be praised and honored and built up like we were at Salkahatchee. No, we weren't, were we? That's what made us so mad because we weren't the center of attention. Paul says we will never get the gospel right Chapter 12 of Romans, until we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. A new creature must be birthed. An old way of being must die. So death to the old way, rebirth in the new way. We're going to resist it because it hurts. We don't want the crucified life. But if we're Christ's disciples, then we'll follow in his way of suffering and self-offering. And they didn't get it. Look at verse 33. So they came to Capernaum, finally got to the house, and while they were in the house, Jesus said, what were you guys discussing on the way here? And they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was going to be the greatest. I mean, do you see the irony? Mind blown, okay? I mean, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's got all glory and majesty. He stepped down from heaven to take the form of a servant, to give his life as a ransom for many. And they are arguing about who's going to be greatest when he gets to be king? That's crazy stuff. Mind blown. Jesus is humiliated and tortured and takes the lowest possible uh, way of, of crucifixion, of death, and becomes servant of everybody. And they're worried about who gets to be his commanding general. Isn't it amazing? They have, but... We shouldn't be too harsh on these guys, should we? Because I in my heart oftentimes aspire to greatness. And sometimes I get hurt when I don't get enough glory. Sometimes I want to be first. But Jesus says if you want to be first in this life, you're going to be last in the kingdom to come. Those Salkahatchee kids, I tried to drive that point home, that because they were suffering and they got no thanks, that they were participating in the life of Christ and they were walking the way of the cross. And they were living under the shadow of Jesus' sacrifice. What a beautiful thing to be last in this life so that we can be first in the kingdom of heaven. That's what this means. Apply that kind of grace. And when you do, it changes everything. Look at verses 35 to 37. Finally, Jesus sat down with them said, You know, if you want to be first, you're going to have to be last and servant of all. And he took a child in his midst. And taking the child by his arms, he said, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not just me, but him who sent me. Now, in classic rabbinic style, you preach a sermon and then you have an illustration. They've been doing it for a long time. His illustration is a child. Why a child? 
Because when we read this as middle-class Americans, we say, oh, isn't that so sweet? Jesus loved the little children, right? We may have a Sunday school lesson on it right now. He loves little children, and he does, but not in that society. Children weren't loved in the way that we love our kids. In fact, they were considered nobodies. They were of no worth until they became adults. Because a child can't pat you on the back for your kindness. A child can't repay you. They can't be used as a stepping stone to a bigger life and a greater future. They were inconsequential because they were powerless. And they were seen and not heard. Totally different from the way we treat children. In fact, one rabbi, during the time of Jesus, warned his congregation of three things. Three vices that will ruin you. First of all, morning sleep. For you teenagers, that means sleeping in too long. <laughs> Secondly, midday wine. And that just means drinking wine all the day long. And the third vice that he warns them against, chatting with children. Chatting with children. Chatting with children was a waste of time for adults. Children can't repay you for your kindness. You see why Jesus <laughs> raises up a child now and says, when, when you serve a child that can't repay you, uh, you're, you're participating in a crucified life. You're, you become a servant like I'm going to serve you. You become self-giving and loving of other people more than you love yourself. Children, they can't pay you back. They're nobodies. And Jesus says, when you serve a child, you not only receive that child, you're serving me, you're receiving me, and you're receiving the Father who sent me. Paul would later say in Philippians 2, he put it like this, this is good for everybody. I need to remind myself. Let each one of you look not to his own interests, verse 4, but to the interests of others. Have this mind about you that was in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, he emptied himself and took the form of a servant. He emptied himself, born in human likeness, and found in human likeness, he humbled himself to the point of death even death on a cross. You see that crucified journey, that way to the cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Have this mind about you, Paul says. So the teaching in a nutshell is Jesus uh, is teaching us to live our lives with humility and grace, thinking others better than ourselves. You see, these disciples were full of pride. Who's going to be greatest when you get your kingdom, Jesus? And that changes everything. How would it change your marriage? You know, young people, you're, you're getting married and you say, I chose that person because that person loves me. And what you mean is that person builds me up, tells me everything I want to know about myself, uh, makes of me, uh, lifts me up on a pedestal, um, and, and that person is here to make me happy. Guess what? Christian marriage is not like that. Jesus Christ gave his life for the church, and we're supposed to live to love our spouses as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. It's about the other person. It's about humbling your own needs and, and lifting that other person up and making them the best person that they could possibly be. And the Bible says at the end of time, you're going to have to stand and give an account of how you've loved that person and sacrificed for that person and you made that person a better Christian. How would it affect your, your job? You know, when we go to get a job, what do we do? We go to the most prominent people we can find and we say, would you write a recommendation for me? Will you say glowing things that make me look awesome? 
What would it look like if you went to your children and said, would you write a recommendation for me? I want to know how, how, what a father I've been to you. Uh, What would they say? Or what about if you, you went to the doorman or the janitor that works under you when you're asking for uh, a reference or a recommendation, and you say, did, did I treat you well? Did I treat you with dignity? Did I lower myself under you so that, that you could feel good about yourself? Was I a servant to you? How would that change the game? What about in our ministries? When we work at uh, uh, maybe the food distribution or home of hope, and what about instead of checking that off on a big old ministry list, We use it as a way to practice servanthood, to practice loving people like that child, even if they're not appreciative, but serving people as Christ served us, humbling ourselves. Or what about our stewardship? What about instead of having to live in the greatest house or drive the greatest car or wear the greatest clothes, we chose average stuff so that we had more money to be generous to others, and to serve them as Christ served us. You see, when you get the cross and apply it to your life, it works on so many different levels. And if you're like me, you need reminding of this from time to time, because I want to be praised and honored and lifted up just like the rest of us. But if you're following Jesus, that part has to die, and a new part has to be raised up. So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Congratulations, folks. If you get Jesus, you're going to make yourself last in this life, but you're going to be first in the kingdom. You're going to get a crown, and it's going to be a crown of jewels and gold and glory. You're going to exchange the the crown of thorns in this life, and you're going to be with Jesus, reigning with the saints. You're going to exchange that, that mediocre house that you lived in here for a mansion in heaven. You're going to be with Jesus, the last in this world will be first in his kingdom. So, well done, church. Losers that we are, we're going to be winners in heaven. We're going to put ourselves last. We're going to serve one another. And Jesus is going to say at the last day, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. Whoever receives a child down here has received the Father and the Son. To his glory we pray. Amen.